So I'm going to do my best to be like this really entertaining, engaging, awesome speaker. But it won't be my best. It'll be the Lord's best if I come out that way. But I purpose to speak truth. And I believe that it is truth. So just before I left, a long time ago, um, I ended with this message about truth, really, about the truth that we have to hold on to so that we can have the peace that Jesus purchased for us, that the flaming arrows of the enemy are going to come and and we're going to have attacks in our thoughts and we have to decide, we have to make a choice what we believe. Do we believe circumstances or do we believe what Jesus says? Do we believe that uh, he's with us or do we believe that he's not? All of these things that affect us personally are cared for in the scriptures. We don't have to be afraid, as we sang today, because we know. And sometimes we know only by faith because by sight would tell us something different. Today's message is maybe the Lord preparing us for Easter. Uh, On Easter Sunday, we're going to preach a gospel message. If you have people that you know that need to hear the gospel, the hard gospel truth that the Bible teaches about how a person would have relationship restored with God... Bring them on Easter Sunday and be prepared to answer their questions or, or make sure that if somebody comes here and they hear this message and they respond to this message, that they find their way to a place of discipleship. Because to hear the message, to respond to the message, and be outside of fellowship is, I don't know how a person stays in relationship with God all by themselves. The Bible doesn't teach that that's something that ought to happen. So today is a conversation around truth, and it's, it's a conversation about truth as it relates to culture. Our world today, the, the world, certainly in America, in Western culture, the truth that God would give is just constantly, constantly, constantly under attack. The things that we hold true and dear, the world is questioning whether not only that they're not truth, but that they don't even come from a good heart, that they come from an evil and a mean kind of a heart. So today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about what the Bible says, how that relates to what the world is saying, and then how we should respond to all of that in the Lord. Okay, so there's this um, conversation that sprung up years and years ago about, it's called relativism, that there's truth, but there's also relative truth. So what's true for me, might not necessarily be true for you. For example, I might believe that Jesus is the only way unto relationship and eternity with God, but you might believe that there's many ways, and Jesus happens to be one of them. Two opposing things can't both be truth in the same place at the same time. It's not possible. There is only one way to God. It's Jesus Christ. I believe that by this thing called faith, right? Because I haven't stepped into the afterlife yet. So I have to have something that makes that truth true to me. And it's the faith that I've been given by God himself in me, in his son, that causes me then to follow him the way that the scriptures would teach me to. The scripture that he gave me during worship is Hebrews 11.1. 1. And it, typically I'm not a, uh, a King James guy. It's, it's hard for me, but I, I really love the King James translation of this scripture. And it speaks to faith. So somebody might push back on you from the world, world and say, You know, this God of yours, how do you know he's true? And you might feel compelled that you have to prove God's existence, but you don't. It's by faith that you know. And faith is, King uh, James Version, Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So the fact that God has not materialized himself before me in such a way like 
gravity does. If I take this step, I go down. There's no doubt in my mind. The truth is that gravity is going to have an influence outside of some other influence that if I step off the stage, only one thing's going to happen. I'm going to go down to the floor because gravity is going to see. That's truth. I can demonstrate it. I can prove it. It's absolute. So is the truth of God. How do I prove it? What's the substance of that truth? It's faith. And it's faith because that's the way God's chosen to give us that truth, by faith. He demands it of us. If we're going to come into relationship with him, it's by this truth that is made real by faith. Faith is the substance. It's the evidence that God is true. We place our faith in that. Now, we don't have to be just totally relying on nothing but faith. There is tremendous evidence that it's true. There are prophecies from thousands of years ago. There's a man who died and was literally resurrected from the dead. There are miracles that we've seen, words of knowledge and healings and things that couldn't happen in the natural that are all spoken of in this book that gives us our faith. So it's not a faith that has no common sense, right? We could pick you know, a tree as God and say, that tree is God. Well, how do you know? Because I have faith in the tree that he's God. That's not the kind of faith that you exercise unto Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This relative truth, it, it's born, I think, out of um, desires and wants that are unfulfilled. So somebody has some desire in life, and they, they want to be able to ha- have their cake and eat it too kind of thing. They want to be able to have this desire, but it's, it's contrary to this thing that others are preaching as truth. So, so they come up with their own truth. It's a relative truth. Well, I understand that Jesus is the way to your God, but I don't know, Buddha, Muhammad's teaching, you pick them. That's my way, but ultimately we all get to the same place. People will go outside of what, what you'd call orthodox Christian teaching because they have feelings and they have desires that they want satisfied rather than surrendered. So they, they, they try to find God in a way that he doesn't present himself, that isn't who he is, so that they can feel safe in God and yet have these things that the word would teach us are not from God or ordained or permitted by God in their lives. You have to have some place that you hang your hat. And, and to, to take your hat off of the truth that the Bible teaches brings decay. So if you look in our culture, you'll see a decay that's happening in our culture because we've wandered away from truth. See, there was a time, I mean, I didn't live in this time, but historically I think this is true, where biblical principles are what guided people's lives. So the compass, remember when we talked about the compass that God's given us, the word of God and the Holy Spirit that will always point us back to that word as we're trying to find our way? The compass for our country was biblical truth. And we lived that way for years and years, decades and, and centuries in most of it, And then we started to wander away. And, for example, 200 years ago, um, it feels like always picking on the the issue of homosexuality, but that's the one that's biggest in the news right now, that's challenging people, and that churches are bending God's truth to become relative and accepted. Homosexuality just wasn't accepted. Now, that doesn't mean that people weren't stirred towards homosexual relationships. It means that it wasn't accepted. It's, it's wrong. We have a compass that tells us it's wrong. And hopefully, if somebody was struggling with homosexual desires, that people, instead of 
judging them would come alongside them and try to help them to not give in to those things that God says are wrong for us. And then maybe 50 years ago, we start to have this relative kind of truth conversation happening. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, we need to be accepting. So we started to become accepting of things that weren't acceptable. But those things never changed. God's word never changed. But we started to to allow ourselves to think a little bit differently. And we opened the door to things that aren't true anymore and starting to embrace them as truth. And then a little bit further now, these institutions in in life that nobody would have ever thought that applying, even though we'll accept a person in this kind of a situation, we won't define marriage by that situation. Or maybe we wouldn't decide that it's okay in that situation to raise children. But now we're kind of thinking, well, maybe it's okay. And maybe marriage isn't the way it was always because it was ordained by God. It's his institution, not man's institution. Now, all over our country, we're ordaining things that we would have never, ever even considered in the past. And the point I make with this is that as soon as you start to compromise truth, it becomes a very, very slippery slope. And there are things that would be abominable in our minds today that we couldn't, there's no way that will ever come. But someone's going to have a passion and a desire for that abominable thing. And what's going to happen is over time, if we're not careful, if we don't hold on to truth, it will become considerable. And then it will become acceptable. And that will, then it will invade those places that we could never imagine that things like that could ever invade. And then it will become culturally truth. So when somebody says you're a Christian, you're a hater, you're exclusive, it's like, no, no. We have by faith placed our lives in the hands of Jesus Christ and confessed to him as our Lord, and we will live by these statutes. We're not telling a person how to live. We would tell them that we think we've found life, and if they're interested in that life, that this is how it's achieved. But we have to be careful that we don't take what's true or worse, what's false, and make it true. Churches, whole denominations, are taking and ordaining sinful behavior that God says, no, nobody who practices these things will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I think to myself, how could you be so deceived? But Satan is a deceiver. And people with good intentions in their hearts or maybe holes in their hearts and needing to be accepted or or being concerned that they're becoming irrelevant because the society and the culture is changing, are trying to change truth to fit what people desire to have as true. And and if we're not careful, we can't find truth any place because we've compromised to the place where it's unseeable. And, And that's why for all of you younger people, right, if you're... Under 60, in my book, you're, you're still youth. If you're over 60, you're just barely, barely beyond youth. But it's so important for you guys to hear this because you're at the age where you're trying to figure out truth. You all of a sudden are able to think for yourselves. You, you can evaluate situations. And the devil, through the world, is trying to tell you what's true. And the Bible is what's true. But the devil can take and make an argument that will seem very, very, very good to you. You could say, I could make sense out of that, but you have to test it against God's truth because what will happen is you'll be in a place of deception. 
And it won't feel bad. It'll feel good. It'll feel right. It'll feel loving, but it will be wrong. And it will lead you to death. And it will lead people who you think you're loving to death. There's only one way. It's only Jesus. And it's only through the truth that he's given us. Anything else is a lie. No matter how good it's packaged, no matter how kind and good it sounds, if it doesn't agree with scripture, it's a lie. And you have to reject those things. You absolutely have to. Okay. Sorry, I had notes. I'm not sure where I'm at anymore. (laughs) If you have a biblical worldview, the decay in society, or that this is a decay, and you can project how people's things, for things that are currently taboo, will become acceptable. I've I've actually been past all this. Um, What was wrong yesterday is right today. It logically follows then what's wrong today could very well be right tomorrow. Why? Because... (laughs) because we've started to embrace this attitude in our culture that says who are you to tell me what's right for me and and really that's not the message of scripture that to, to judge somebody in that way but to tell them what is right they have to decide whether it's right or wrong they have to decide whether they would place their hope in jesus It happens because there's no belief in absolute truth. Truth is becoming what's pleasing to me for those whose life compass is their wants, their feelings, and their desires. And while that's very, very deadly for the world, it can be very, very deadly for the Christian as well. Because if we take our eyes off what God has given us to stay on the narrow path that that he's given us that leads to life, we'll end up in the wide path that leads to destruction and might quite frankly think we're doing it in Jesus' name. To be Christian means you've chosen your truth. That truth being Christ and his word. John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's true because I've placed my faith in that truth. I haven't gone that way yet. The substance of this truth is faith. The evidence of this truth is faith. Supported now by experience. Thank you, God. If you're Christian, this is the foundation of truth, and it's absolute. It's not relative. It's not relative to, if that's true, how come I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills? If it's truth, it's not relative to, how come Weston has a tumor inside his brain? It's still truth. It's always true. It doesn't change. It's not relative to your situation or to their situation or to anybody's situation. There can be things you don't understand, but ultimately you lean not on your own understanding, but the truth you've committed yourself to. That's what it means to become Christian. I'll say it again then. There can be things that you don't understand, but ultimately you lean not on your own understanding, but the truth you've committed yourself to. It's easy to say amen until your faith in that truth is tested. Think about this situation, and maybe none of you could imagine yourselves here, but but this is real. What happens when your heart falls for a person of the same sex? Your feelings will tell you things like this. How can this be wrong? God is love, and I love this person. All love comes from God. I love this person. Therefore, God has given me this love. Therefore, God has blessed my new love and how I choose to express 
this love. You see how you can even take scripture and you can make a logical sequence that makes sense. God is love. I feel love towards this person. Why wouldn't I express my love towards this person in every way that people express love towards, let's call him a husband or a wife. It must be true because I feel it so strongly. It's a deception. It's a lie. Why do I know that? Because the word says that people that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Is God love? Yes. Does love come from God? Yes. Does this person love this person? They very well may love them with all the love or more that I love Teresa. But God in his truth has not given us the option of practicing that love the way a husband and a wife can practice that love. It is what it is. It's not new. Mark this day on your calendars. In the same sermon, I spoke a King James verse and I'm going to preach to you out of Ezekiel. If you've read the Old Testament, you know of the, the, the relationship that God had with his chosen people, Israel. Up and down, up and down, good and bad, back and forth, all over the place. In these verses, it's chapter 18, verses 29 through 32, you can see where Israel had gotten to a place where we're at right now. Hear what the Lord says. But the house of Israel says... The way of the Lord is not right. Are my ways not right, O house of Israel? Now, this is what God speaking. Is it not your ways that are not right? Therefore, I, God speaking, I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his conduct, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from all your transgressions which you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. It was interesting to me in this um, course of scripture, he talks about judging their behaviors. But we're not judged by our behaviors, right? Our good behaviors can't get us into heaven, and our bad behaviors aren't what get us out of heaven. Why would it be okay for him to judge their behaviors? The same way he would judge our behaviors, because our behaviors are a reflection of our heart towards God. If their heart towards God was committed to him, their behaviors generally would reflect the repentance that he requires of his people. Same true with us. If our heart is turned sincerely to Jesus as Lord it will be reflected in our behaviors. And he can very well judge our actions because they are the fruit of our hearts. Now, that doesn't mean that if if we have a bad action or a bad behavior or something that's sinful manifests itself in our lives, that we don't love God and that we are not saved. But if we have a practice of these things, which Israel did, it is indicative that our heart wasn't really ever given to Jesus, or at least it may have been and it's not anymore. All of that leads to the wisdom of this proverb, which it's one of my favorites, 3, 5 through 7, Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Israel wasn't doing that, right? They're telling God, your ways are wrong. Our ways are better. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You see it again in Jesus in his early ministry. Um, This is really long. 
John 6, 50 through 69. Jesus speaking. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that come down, came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. And who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you not want to go away also? Do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They believed, they placed, the substance was their faith. And then they came to know that he is the Son of God. But many people in the church heard the arguments. They listened to this conversation. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Are you crazy, Jesus? That's too much for us. If it's too much for us, we walk away. Did Jesus look at him and say, oh no, where's my following? I only got these few guys left. What should I do? Hey, it's okay. I changed my mind. You don't have to eat my flesh. You don't have to drink my blood. You can still be my disciples. He didn't. He watched them go. But remember the Ezekiel scriptures. God doesn't get any pleasure from someone who dies. It breaks his heart. Oh, I don't remember where it is, but, but the, The New Testament teaches us in James or John or Peter, one of those back towards the end, that God wishes that all would come to repentance. All would come to repentance. But the narrow way only few find. Why? Because Jesus is an offense. The gospel is offensive to people. Why? Because it tells them they can't have everything they want if they want him. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's truth. Paul and James, they had the same understanding. They had all the same challenges. 
they warned the church that it was going to be tested in its commitment to the truth. Listen to these scriptures. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. The Apostle Paul speaking now. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Does this sound familiar at all? And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So when the the pastor, God bless him, in... um, I've just managed to bring up a new sermon on here. When the pastor in Tennessee, who has been praying for three years, I think, and says he has a new revelation from God, and now he's going to start to ordain homosexual, practicing homosexual relationships, he's turned to a myth. It's not the truth. How do we know it's not the truth? Because the Bible says that the homosexual will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. God loves them. He loves them with the same love he loves any of us in our own personal sins that we're struggling with. But he doesn't ordain sin. There's no license to sin. Paul again in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. The perversion of the gospel. I am amazed, speaking to the Galatian church, this church that he planted... I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him, Jesus, who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Him, I guess, was God the Father in that context. Which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You can't please men in their fleshly desires and serve Christ at the same time. It's not possible. Jesus served the truth and the most of his disciples walked away from him. Jesus served the truth and was received as like the king's king coming into Jerusalem and not, what, a day, two, three days later, all those same people were calling for his crucifixion. They left Jesus. They didn't hold on. They bought a different truth. That's no truth at all. It's no gospel. I think some of the ways that the gospel gets perverted within the church is that men, in their insecurities, in their fears, in their need to be exalted and worshipped and, and told how wonderful they are, will turn from the truth to a message that's pleasing to men. There's not 5,000 of you in this room today. I cannot tell you how many times I've been challenged in my thoughts to say what you want to hear from a fleshly perspective. Because, and I'm not, honestly, I am not 
jamming up the seeker sensitive church. I, I, I don't know nothing from nothing, but what the Bible teaches me. But I know that if we start to talk about something that's not true, there's going to be a lot of people that want to hear it. And there's a lot of ways you can make it okay using earthly wisdom, not heavenly wisdom. And then pretty soon you can't find the forest for the trees anymore because God's grace that allows us to connect with his truth comes from humble submission to him, not from a pride that would put ourselves and our wants and needs above what he's telling us to do. We have to be careful. We want to present Jesus. I'm telling you, I have talked to people about getting saved in ways, not not from the pulpit, thank God, that I'm aware of anyway, but in a conversation as a baby Christian trying to explain to somebody the way it was explained to me, God loves you and he wants to bless you and, and he wants you in his kingdom. And you say something like, would you receive Jesus into your heart? Yeah. I mean, I might go to hell. Yes, you are going to hell. And I could go to heaven. Tell me about heaven. Wow, heaven sounds great. I, I, I will. I do. I receive Jesus into my heart. Congratulations. You're born again. You are not. You're deceived. The kingdom of heaven comes by way of Repentance by way of placing your faith in Jesus as Savior, and by offering your life to him as Lord. That's what the scripture teaches. Wait a minute, tell me about this Lord thing. Well, that means that like all the stuff that you like, that, that he tells you is no good, you, you, you decided that you're going to not do that anymore. Oh. Tell me about dying to myself. Tell me about picking up my cross daily to follow him. Tell me about if, if my father died and I need to go back and bury him instead of following Jesus, what he tells me to do. I'm supposed to let the dead bury the dead. Tell me about that, Jesus, again. Mm, I like to ask you into my heart, Jesus, and then I'll do what I feel good about. I'll go to church. I'll put money in the basket. I'll sing the songs. And I'll stand before God and be judged because he doesn't offer that as his salvation. Galatians 5, 1 through 4. Are you guys hearing this? I know I'm, a, I'm a, not a great motivational speaker, but you've got to know it's true. You've got to know it's true. Listen to this. This is the Apostle Paul talking. This is what he says. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. That sounds good. Except there's all these rules. But I'm not under law. I'm under grace, right? You are under the grace of God, under your salvation, and it's expected that you will desire to be like Jesus in that process. You're free from the bondage of sin. You're free from so many things. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, this, which was the particular outside the gospel thing he was dealing with at this moment, Christ will be of no benefit to you and a And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Paul says, if you catch this other gospel that's really no gospel at all, in this case it was, hey, you got to be a Jew before you can be a Christian. Here's how we do that. You get circumcised. As soon as you do that, your faith isn't in Christ and his work. Your faith is in your work. And now you're not obligated to just be circumcised. You're obligated to the entirety of the law to find your salvation in, by which you will not because all have sinned and fallen short. The sin that you already did has already condemned you. However much circumcised you do buys you nothing. It buys you nothing. As a matter of fact, as soon as you start to add to faith in Jesus alone, you have fallen from grace and you've been severed from Christ. That's the ultimate. It doesn't work anymore. 
James said this way to people looking for something other than what the Bible teaches. He called them adulteresses. He said, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There is no room for compromise in what is true. You can make a mistake. That's what grace is for. You can have a stumble. That's why God is a gracious God. But you can't choose to change his gospel. You can't because it feels good. You can't because you feel so bad for the person that wants to have a relationship and they're so deeply in love. You can't. You can't because nobody comes to your church. You can't because you want a big church or a paved parking lot, heaven forbid. And if you give a little bit, just a little bit change on the message, maybe more people will come and put money in the basket. And then you can say, look at this, isn't this? Look at here. If God doesn't build it, it's not built. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. John chapter 15. If the world hates you, because you don't tell it what it wants to hear, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, because I told you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted Jesus, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, Jesus's, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent Jesus, me. So, if you're sharing the good news with somebody who's in love with somebody who the good news says you can't have that kind of a love relationship with, do you tell them they're just a dirty, rotten sinner and they're going to burn in hell? No, not at all. Here's, Here's just kind of a way that I think we can diffuse things like that. First of all, you don't get in dragged into an argument that you can't win, right? Because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. If God discerned, if God does not put his anointing on the person that needs to hear the conversation, it's nonsense to them. That's 1 Corinthians 1 or 2, I think. Proverbs tells us, and, and I'm not saying you know that they're a fool, but it's a foolish conversation. It says you cannot argue with a fool. And in this case, it's because they're foolish because they don't have the anointing to understand. So never argue with somebody about the truth. It's a pointless argument. But maybe something like this. You're trying to judge me. I say, I don't judge you. I'm commanded not to judge you. This truth that I've committed my life to says I can't judge you. I'm not telling you how to live. I'm telling you what has proven itself to me to be true. I empathize with you. You have love. Having, having love for someone and being told that you shouldn't exercise your feelings in all the ways you like, that breaks my heart that, that the word of God would tell you this, but it's true. I have passions. I have passions and desires that I have to say no to myself for, things that that I passionately desire, that that I want and I have feelings for, that I have to say no because I've committed myself to this truth. I empathize with how you feel. What I'm telling you is that we have all been judged, me included. 
What happened for me is that I came to understand my sin and judgment and how to be forgiven of all unrighteousness before God. That's a good conversation to have with somebody. Now, they may tell you, go away. Your God's not true. I don't buy your truth. And you can say, okay, it's all right. God is pro-choice. He lets you choose. We don't have to threaten people. We don't have to tell them they're horrible. If we're truly understanding the scriptures, we would understand who we are. We'd never put that on somebody else when we know it's reflected back on us. Read the end of Romans chapter 1. So, Romans 2, 4. This is the way. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? It's not kindness to ordain sin, but it's kind to love. The world will not be won by debating right and wrong. The world will be won by seeing the glory of God in his church and experiencing the kindness of God by the drawing of the Father unto the Son when they choose to humble themselves before the truth. There's no other way to God but to humble yourself before his truth. To give somebody something else because it makes them feel good is to teach them a lie that they're going to be judged for. You've given them nothing. Let me give you some beautiful examples that, that are just awesome to me. These adoption fundraisers that have been happening are scripture. Think about the garage sale. Remember, you know, people took stuff that was theirs and they brought it here to be sold so that the burden of some would be lightened by the blessing of others. Let me read you two scriptures and tell me if you can see the garage sale in this. This is Acts chapter 2, 44 and 45. And... All those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone who might have need. Book of Acts chapter 4 now. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as they had need. That's the garage sale. That's it. That's the people of God bringing what they had so that it could be given unto the needs that others had that were kingdom needs. Think about the princess party yesterday. I mean, we, we literally hadn't been home yet. We went to the princess party to see, to just say thank you. And while I'm there, this lady comes up to me. I mean, now the thing is over at this point. I've been cleaning up and talking and taking pictures and things. And this lady comes up to me, and I recognize her. Her husband was one of Ryan's football coaches in high school. Her daughter was kind of one of Ryan's, like in his little circle of best friends. Now, heaven forbid, you're getting ready to have your 20th high school reunion. Is that right? I think you are. Anyway, I haven't seen this lady since then. I mean, that's how I knew her. She came with her daughter, who came with her daughter, to a princess party. It was just a thing to do. It was, a, it was a way to have fun and be entertained. She was, like, blown away by the people that would do these things, that would put on the costumes and the brothers and all these people to do a thing so that other families within their little fellowship of brothers and sisters would be able to then bring little ch- Who argues with bringing home orphans? Of all the things that we could tell people, Scripture says, and they might fight with, over homosexuality or fornication or lying or stealing, or you pick the thing, they ain't arguing with you about it's good to bring orphans home. 
and they saw the glory of God in the church, which is the body of God, coming together for the causes of God. She was just blown away. We were walking in and people were walking out. There were so many cars there. I thought, wow, because we have a little experience with that high school. (laughs) There must be other things going on today. Are you coming from the princess party? Yes. This is this one right here. This is one while you're here. This is Ashley. Huh? What? Ashley? Oh, the girl from, yes. (gasps) Oh, and their eyes sort of get all tearied up. Because they saw the truth. They saw the heart of Jesus in this whole thing. It wasn't about going to a princess party. It was an awesome princess party, I bet. Cupcakes and everything. I mean, if you want to make me, yeah. Yeah, they're out there, right. <laughs> the point is, this is how the world is going to be won. It's the kindness of God that leads them to repentance. You don't have to judge them. They're already judged. Read the most famous verse in the Bible, the very next one. Jesus didn't come to judge the world. He came that the world might be saved. As the Father sent him, so he sends us. Not to judge the world. They're already judged. You were judged before you came to Jesus. Your judgment is still real, except it was put on him instead of you. I'll give you two more scriptures and then I'm almost done. I do this because four weeks, I think, other people preach, and I've got to make sure I preach longer than them. <laughs> They're like, bring me rebel. I want rebel. Where's Davo? Proverbs fourteen twelve. These are kind of an instruction and a warning. And, and maybe it's not the most up way to end this message, but it's a true way to end this message. Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It might seem right. There's wisdom that comes from the world, and it can make sense in our minds. But if it's not truth, its way is death. And you've got to know that. That's why it's so important for you to read your Bibles. You've got to know the Word of God. It's easy to be deceived. Heck, it's, it's, it's easy kind of to be deceived. Even if you read it, you really got to press in. The Holy Spirit's got to enlighten. He's got to point the Scriptures out and remind us so we aren't deceived. If you don't know the Scriptures, I don't know how you can avoid being deceived. Because the argument will make sense in the fleshly part of your heart or your mind. There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That's truth. And the last one is this, Isaiah 5, 20 and 21. While Isaiah, Ezekiel, and King James all on the same day. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Let me just leave you this. Choose God's way. Keep choosing God's way. Be committed and faithful. Be strong. Be loving. Be kind. Don't waver from the truth. Be useful to God and a blessing to the world, whether they ever know that you are a blessing to them, whether anybody ever says thank you for you being a blessing to them. And remember that your reward comes from the Lord. Your reward isn't a thousand or two thousand people. Your reward comes from the Lord for faithful service unto him. Okay. So as we get close to Easter, and we want to tell lots of people how wonderful Jesus is, we can't give them a Jesus that's not Jesus. We can't give them a gospel that's no gospel at all. We can't stand before the Lord thinking that 
all these people said yes to you and Jesus look us and say, that wasn't me you offered them. That was some idol that made them feel good. You have to trust. Well, let me back up a minute. I want you to read the Bible. I want you to have an intimate relationship with Holy Spirit and I want you to watch me because I still have flesh. We are to encourage and edify each other. If you see me ever, ever preaching a gospel that's no gospel at all, you have to tell me. Speak to me the truth in love. Because I don't want to stand before Jesus and tell him that I brought people, helped him bring people into his kingdom that can't be in his kingdom because I was part of the deception and not the truth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we have truth. Thank you that you've written this truth on our very hearts and in our minds. Thank you that you've taught us that we have to daily crucify our flesh that we might live in the truth. Thank you that you've given us your word and you've given us your spirit. You've given us a map and you've given us a compass. You've given us the conviction of Holy Spirit to help us to stay in the narrow path that leads to life. Help us to be useful in your kingdom. Help us to move mountains with your love, with your kindness, with your truth. Let them see our good works and bring glory to our Father who's in heaven. Let your church please, Lord, be a city on a hill that draws people to you through your Son. Please, Father God, we pray for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We pray for the manifestation of your kingdom through us, Lord. We call ourselves church on the street because church isn't a two-hour experience or more on a Sunday morning. It's every moment of our lives in this world. We never cease to be the body of Jesus. We never cease to be his hands, his feet, his heart, his arms to hug, his anointed hands to pray, his eyes to see, his ears to hear, his lips to speak truth. We are always, always church everywhere we go, Lord. We ask you for opportunities to demonstrate your kingdom. And we ask you to help us not to walk past them. We love you. We thank you. We honor you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.